Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Can you feel it? It's officially draft season. And a year ago, all the talk was about Heisman Trophy winner Joe Burrow and his rise to the top. So who are the stars and sleepers of this year's draft? Well, my next guest breaks down the players and how they project at the next level right here. It's time for the College Football Legends Podcast. The players. We're going to hit somebody and we're taking down the field for a touchdown. I guarantee you that. The coaches. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The players. There goes Davis! Oh my God! Davis is going running all the way back! And so much more. College football legends. Heroes come and go, but legends live forever. Believe in college football legends on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Chris Smith. Football might be over, but the NBA, college hoops, and NHL are in full swing. So the only place you should be betting on these sports is betonline.ag. Thinking of picking the Lakers to repeat or love that Dustin Johnson is favored to win the Masters? You need to go to betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, there's the 24-hour online casino as well. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. The NFL Draft hasn't always been the showcase it is today. The first draft began in 1936 at the Ritz-Carlton in Philly. Just 90 names were on a meeting blackboard for teams to choose from. No scouting departments, no media coverage. Jay Burwanger was the first player ever selected in a draft of the last nine rounds. Organizations invested a little more in 1946 as Dan Reeves of the Los Angeles Rams hired the first player scout. But the draft took the largest step forward in 1980 as a skeptical commissioner, Pete Rozelle, agreed to broadcast it on a new all-sports cable network called ESPN. The event has grown each year and expanded to a three-day format in 2010. So now we have to keep up the date with all the influx of players available and a good start are a couple of conferences. Out of all the 2020 players on NFL rosters, 89% come from FBS schools, with the SEC and Big Ten dominating as the top two talent-producing conferences. The top five schools that have produced the most professional talent come from these conferences as well. Alabama leads all FBS schools in 2020 NFL players on active rosters, with Ohio State, LSU, Florida, and Michigan rounding out the top five. Though the FCS has flexed its muscle with 141 former players on opening season rosters and another 66 signed to practice squads. So we'll take a look at this year's next wave of NFL superstars with my special guest on the show, Ryan Roberts, director of scouting at the NFL Draft Bible. And he takes the microphone on multiple podcasts, believe in NFL Draft Prospects, Maverick Sports Consulting, and locked on Irish. Find him at Twitter at Rise and Draft. That's Rise Capital N Draft, and at NFLDraftBible.com. Now the official NFL Draft content for Sports Illustrated. Thanks for joining me, Ryan. Absolutely, Chris. I appreciate you having me on. Wow, the man that never sleeps. You must have a couple of McDonald's bags of cash for all this. I'm, I'm assuming. I, I, I wish, man. I have a baby on the way though, so the uh, time's going to be even more limited soon. So, <laughs> well, first off, how'd you get into scouting? Um, I mean, so, you know, long story short, you know, I, I had been, um, 
I had been contributing in NFL draft writing for a few years, and I was lucky enough to come in contact with Rick Saratella, who is the owner of Draft Bible, uh, not this past October, the previous October. And he was he works for the NFL PA Bowl as well as an advanced scout. And I just reached out to him and said, like, hey, man, like, I, I don't know if um, you guys are looking for any evaluators, writing scouting reports, doing all that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, we got in contact. We met, you know, sometime there in October. And I was brought on and, you know, just like a part time role is writing, writing scouting reports and, you know, doing some some, you know, daily content with with articles right here and there and got to the combine last year. And uh, everything is gone very quickly uh here to be honest with you and it's it's uh you know i've been pretty pretty quickly promoted to director of scouting and i'm, I'm one of the co-owners now of nfl draft bible and it's really surreal just to think of you know what i was doing just about you know a year and a half ago and where it's gone so quickly so fast and now onto the sports illustrated label you know so it's always been something that's been a passion of mine from my playing uh, my brief playing career in college um, to coaching for a while here, high schools in New Jersey, and then just getting into the scouting realm and being able to learn from some great people. It's been surreal. It's been fast, but it's uh, been something that I've been thoroughly enjoying so far. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, much continued success. And I'm sure you're now the pride of Cinnamons and High that, that you were coaching at before, correct? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not even there anymore. You know, it, it's um, uh, something this past year, you know, with everything that was going on, had a new job and, and, uh, you know, expecting a baby and doing all this type of stuff. I, I actually had to stop coaching. So I don't even work, uh, at cinnamon and unfortunately anymore in any, any coaching capacity. I, I do really miss being able to coach and doing all that stuff. I feel like that, that, um, area of my life gave me a great eye for, you know, just watching film and understanding schematically what teams were trying to do. But unfortunately, I guess the coaching career is, uh, permanently on hold to say the least now. Oh, that's all right. Well, Hopefully you'll get back with the kids sooner or later. And with the uh, college football season in the rearview mirror, the attention is now on the college football legends making the leap to the next level. What do you look for when you're evaluating a quarterback? Yeah, uh, that's the most intense and uh, thorough evaluation that you could possibly do for any position. So, uh, you know, the most important position, not only in football, but in sports. So when it, when it comes to quarterback evaluation, you know, there's, thresholds that you want to hit from a size athletic standards um, area there are things on film that you want to see the ability to come off the first read onto second and third the ability to extend plays which is so much more important in today's game than it was even you know five to ten years ago sure. and there's always there's always the the intricacies of the game you know there's the the leadership qualities and it makes it such an, a weird evaluation sometimes yeah because intangibles are hard to uh, grade Right, right. It's hard to quantify sometimes. Absolutely. You said it perfectly. You know, it's it's tough to really have that grasp. And being an independent scouting company, you don't get as much inside information as a, you know, if you're scouting for an NFL team, you would, you know, because you don't get the complete availability to sit down with a player, sure. get them on the whiteboard, see what they know, see what they can retain, that type of thing. So, what we do here at NFL Draft Bible, specifically about quarterbacks, is we, you know, we're, we have boots on the ground at every All-Star event. Every, you know, we're on on the in the usual years, not COVID years. We're doing game day visits and we're talking to players. We're interviewing them. You want to try to get as much information about a prospect in in general terms as possible. But for quarterback, that is even magnified to the to the highest degree. You want to 
know exactly what they what they know about football. You want to know how much how much things they can retain. You want to know much how, how much they love it. Because at the end of the day, they are whether they are ready for it or not. The moment that they step foot on the football field, they are the leader of that team. Absolutely. And, you know, that is the struggles you see a lot with rookie quarterbacks sometimes who just aren't ready for that type of pressure. But that is what you need to see because there's a lot of guys that either can succeed, you know, right off the bat and have that leadership or there's guys that can grow into it and that guys that can overcome early struggles. But there's just so much that goes into it. And I I would just say for the biggest thing is to always get as much information as possible. There's you can never know. You can never know too much about a quarterback because at the end of the day, that is going to be the guy that's going to take you over the hump. That's going to be a guy that you're going to invest the most money in as long as he plays well. And that's the guy that's going to lead your franchise for the next, hopefully 10 plus years of your, um, of your tenure there. Absolutely. They got the ball in their hands on every play. We're speaking with Ryan Roberts, director of scouting at the NFL draft Bible and seeing the Mm -hmm. four quarterbacks in the conference championships in the NFL, Brady, Mahomes, Rogers, and Allen, Will a copycat trend in the draft be stick with the thrower and shy away from the runner? Um, I, I, it's 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 a really nice conversation now because we've seen guys, you know, with the Lamar Jacksons of the world that have had a ton of success, uh, more maybe more as runners than throwers earlier. This is an interesting class in general because you even the guys that you perceive to be the quote unquote pocket guys like a Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that guy's going to, I mean, there's not going to be a, a traditional combine, but whenever he does test, if he chooses to test, that guy's going to run in the four sixes at six, six, 220 pounds. So the, there's no, um, there's no absence to athleticism for some of these guys. I mean, the top guys, Justin Fields is a heck of an athlete. Trey Lance is an outstanding athlete. Even Zach Wilson's a great athlete. So the, I, I feel like you need that well balanced now. There is no, there's, there's no, you know, your traditional standard pocket quarterbacks anymore you know the the young the young breed that's coming up through through the masses right now the josh allens of the world those guys all have that ability to extend plays and you need to do you need to hit both thresholds you need to do both things because if you're just a pocket guy we've seen now that those guys tend to not have as much success especially early on Sure. If you put those, uh, you name some of the quarterbacks, if you put those prospects in the tiers, I know you don't like the terms like can't miss, uh, mm-hmm. but you have Clemson's Trevor Lawrence at the top. Who's in the next group? You mentioned Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson. Is there a tier below them? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So for me, there's three tiers at the top, in my opinion. I think that Trevor Lawrence is by himself. He's shoulders. the best head and shoulders. He's the best quarterback I've ever evaluated. I, I was not evaluating when Andrew Luck came out, but I will say I think he would have given Luck a run for his money as far as you know, just pure talent. I think it would have been a great conversation on who would have been the first pick if they were in the same draft class. Um, I think that he is that physically gifted and that sharp of a player. And he's a guy that, whether, again, you're looking at from all perspectives, you know, he's already engaged. He's about to get married. He graduated in three years. Like he just seems to have everything together, <laughs> yeah. you know, like much I would, better than I, the average college student. Right. Well, m- much better than most people. I feel like he's more <laughs> prepared than I am right now at 29 years old. But um, yeah, he's by himself. In my opinion, the next tier I think is between Trey Lance and Justin Fields. I grade them pretty closely because I think that they're very similar players. They have a lot of the same strengths, a lot of the same weaknesses. And from a height, weight, arm strength perspective, athleticism perspective, they could potentially be special. But they're down a tier below Lawrence for me because they are going to be heavily dictated on 
the situation that they land in. Sure. They need the correct offense. They need the correct philosophy. They need the, cre- the correct culture to really cultivate that type of athleticism. And then Zach Wilson, for me, is in that third tier all by himself right now. I think that he's very good. I don't think that he quite has the upside of the tier above him, but I think that he has maybe even a little bit more of a higher floor than the, the tier above him. I just don't think that the ceiling is quite as high. And then after that, like, let's make sense of this draft. Like, I'm not a huge Matt Jones guy. Been on record about it. I have, I have some um, reservations about buying into anywhere near the first round with the Matt Jones. Kyle Trask, you know, he does some things well. I, I don't think that he's a guy that's going to ever ascend to being more than maybe a, a stopgap starter. I compared him to Nick Foles, and I still like that comparison. Like he got it, He's got a Super Bowl, Bowl ring. Right, right. And he's been a very successful quarterback in spots, but he was never that guy, no matter what team he's been on, that you're like, okay, we'll buy into that for multiple seasons. You know, he's just a guy that's good, solid, but you can always do better. So that's what Kyle Trask was like for me. I actually kind of like Davis Mills from Stanford. I think he's right in that tier with those guys. And uh, he's a guy that is going to be a very interesting conversation because he is a guy that has not played too much. You know, he's behind KJ Costello. And when Costello went down in 2019, he took over for the latter stages of the season, and he had a lot of flashes. And then he has the abbreviated season in the Pac-12 where they were originally canceled. But I think from, again, an arm strength, athleticism, he's, got, he's a really underrated athlete. He's more of a pocket guy than maybe that second tier is. But I think that he has a lot of attributes that are going to be very interesting. And I, I'm just letting people know that although Mac Jones is the hot name, Kyle Trask was the hot name, don't be surprised if Davis Mills might be the fifth quarterback off the board when all is said and done. Wow, you heard it here first. We're speaking with Ryan Roberts, Director of Scouting at the NFL Draft Bible. And let's dive into the ground game. Who will be the first running back that sneaks into the first round? I think if I was a betting man, I would say Najee Harris. Um, from Alabama. I mean, he looked ridiculous I, in the college football playoff it, national championship. It, uh, it was it was crazy. I mean, the, the whole playoff run too. I mean, I'm a I cover uh, Notre Dame fighting Irish for Locked On Irish, and you know that hurdle that he did near the sideline <laughs> over Nick McLeod. Seems like was, he does it to everybody. That of the spin move, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, it's absolutely insane. And I, I was I was a little I don't want to say slow to to buying into him, but I was a little delayed into buying into him. Just you know, I wanted to see a full season because we saw the flashes in 2019, a little more late into the season, but I mean, he's the real deal. I, I think that he is firmly into that late first round conversation. I wouldn't be surprised if someone even maybe takes a shot on him somewhere in the mid, 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 uh, middle portion of round one. I personally still prefer Travis Etienne just because I think that he has a little more of a din- dynamic element playing in space. I think that he kind of fits that modern mold a little more than Najee does, but I would, I think that Najee is probably the favorite to come off the board. It's a really nice running back class, though, especially at the top, because even Javante Williams from North Carolina, I know, is some people's top running back in the class. So I think it's a decent. Yeah, we had a pair of uh, North Carolina running backs coming out. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a fun year for North Carolina prospects in general, even with Chaz Surratt, uh, the linebacker. The two running backs, though, Javante Williams, obviously with his size profile, his athleticism profile, is a really fun player, and then Michael Carter. I kind of compared a little bit to Deion Lewis. Like, I think he's just going to be like that really solid contributor, do some stuff in the passing game. He's plays a little bigger than maybe his size would, would, would indicate for you. And uh, I think Javante though does have that opportunity. Cause I, from what I'm hearing, I think he's going to test really well at 220 pounds. 
So I think he's going to firmly be in that running back one conversation for some people. But uh, if I was a betting man, I would definitely say Najee has to be the favorite right now. What happened to Chuba Hubbard's stock? I, I think that people got a little I far mean, He was a star themselves. at Oklahoma State for a while, you know, Heisman talk all the time. And then it just feels like he's like almost right. an afterthought. Yeah, it's I mean, one, he he went back in the, the uh, this 2020 season for him was not a great one. He got hurt. He wasn't super productive beforehand. I think that people were just kind of overhyping him a little bit, just looking at what his production would indicate that might be the, the you know, the type of player that he is. But when you really kind of just break him down, he's got a lot of speed. He's kind of like a he, he's a heavy stretch zone kind of guy who's going to move lateral and then he's going to hit one cut and he's going to get he's going to get vertical as quick as possible. And if he's able to break the first and second level, you, you might have a big game because he has a ton of speed. I just think, though, that he is very scheme dependent. I don't think power running teams are going to love him a bunch. I don't love him in an inside zone based scheme. I think that he's very dependent to playing in that outside stretch similar to a Kyle Shanahan system. Uh, Sean McVay has kind of changed it up a little bit, but he's traditionally a stretch zone guy too, which, hey, if he lands on one of those games, he'll probably outplay his his position that he gets drafted. But I think that he's just very scheme dependent. He doesn't have a ton of production in the past game, and he has a very thin lower half. So he does struggle with breaking a ton of tackles. So I, I just think that there's just some limitations to his game, but I mean, most of these players, I always say, like, I wish that I could do a different big board and positional rankings depending on the draft results so I can see where they fit into. Because if he falls into a San Francisco system or another system that runs a ton of stretch zone, he might be higher in the rankings than he would just be organically because he would be a perfect fit to that type of system. Yeah, fit is definitely important. And we're speaking with Ryan Roberts, Director of Scouting at the NFL Draft Bible. And in the wide receiver class, who has the edge, Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith? Chase sat out the entire year, and the other is a Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah, and man, it's, it's a, like, so I like Jamar Chase more based off on his 2019 film, even comparing it to Devontae Smith's outstanding 2020 season. And I think that there are going to be some teams, fair or not, around the league that are going to hold it against Chase that he did not, and the rest of the opt-out players for that matter. If you did not play in 2020, I think there are going to be some teams that are going to drastically knock you for that, which I completely understand. You know, you, you want some recent tape. You want to see what a guy's been doing. You, you, you just kind of betting on an, on a, uh, on an unverified um, player at that point. You know, you don't know exactly what their recency looks like. So I, I think that Devonta has a good shot. I, I would still, in my opinion, take Jamar, and I still think Jamar has a very good chance to go higher than him because when we look at what he did in 2019, like people are forgetting, you know, because of recency well, bias. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're forgetting that, hey, at 19 years old, Jamar Chase put together one of the best receiving seasons in college football history. And on a team that had Terrace Marshall, who might go in the first round this year, probably maybe early second, and Justin Jefferson, who just set the rookie record for receiving yards <laughs> in history, who was the top option on that team? It was Jamar Chase. And I think that does speak volumes. And I like Devonta. He's a very talented football player. He's got that craftiness to him. He's, he's kind of a strider. But he is, he's an outlier at the end of the day. He's going to be in the first round. There's no doubt in my mind. But he is six foot, 175 pounds. Yeah, the size. When, you look, when you look at that body type, it's not so much that I think that he can't be successful because he's that size, because there will be some people that will tell you that. But for me, 
when I'm betting on him, I'm betting on an outlier at the end of the day. There are not a ton of guys with that size profile that have been successful in the NFL. So you have to be comfortable with your evaluation. And for me, I'm looking at Jamar Chase, who is six foot one, 200 pounds, dominated the SEC in every first round cornerback that he faced in 2019. I think the upside is still immense with the guy. That's a good evaluation. That's your man. And uh, I'm seeing a lot of people mocking Jalen Waddell in the top 15. Do you think he's the third wide receiver going off the board, fourth or fifth? I I, I think he could be second. I actually prefer him to Devonta. I I'm telling you, man, he was another guy that before he, you know, uh, before he messed up his ankle uh, midseason, he was the number one option on that wide receiver team, uh, wide receiver group at Alabama. He was the dynamic player. And I feel like everybody always wants to try to compare, you know, players that win how advanced, uh, how Jalen Waddle wins to, you know, the Tyreek Hills, who are rare players, to yeah. the Deshaun Jacksons, who are rare players. I don't think that it is hyperbole to say that that Jalen Waddle is that type of player because when you're talking about pure athleticism, being able to run in the four threes, being super explosive in small in short spaces, being able to contort his body in the air and actually win at the catch point a lot better than you would consider for a five a guy that's only about five foot nine and a half. I think that they're special with a guy like Waddle, and I would actually be more comfortable as long as the health checks out on Waddle than I would with Smith. Yeah, that reminds me of another player, Kadarius Tony. He's like the, another Swiss Army knife who yeah. does a little bit of everything. Who does he compare to in the draft? I, I think it's really lazy, but I actually do like the Percy Harvin comparison. I, I, it's, it's absolutely what, true, though. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and some people will be like, oh, comparing another, a Florida guy to another Florida guy. Like, I get it. But like when you look at how they were used, their body type, their physical running style after the catch, which is very uncommon for, you know, five foot 10, five 11, 190 sure, he was pounds. breaking tackles. Right. He looks like a running back after the catch, you know, no exaggeration. Like he is breaking a ton of tackles. I think that they're similar. And I think that people take it as a negative because Percy's career didn't last incredibly long, but take a look at his early time in the NFL there for the first like three or four years before the injury started setting in. And, you know, just the production started to dip. He was a really dynamic football player, and I think that uh, Kadarius Tony can be in that similar vein. Yeah, well, I think it'll end up being what system he's in, like you were mentioning earlier. Absolutely, yeah. I, I want him. I want him in the Green Bay Packers so bad to play that uh, <laughs> to play that Randall Cobb role that he used to do in the slot. You know, with Devonte Adams moving around a little bit, I feel like that would be such a fun fit. Oh, that would be scary. And we're speaking with Ryan Roberts, director of scouting at the NFL Draft Bible. And last year's draft, we saw two offensive linemen go in the top 10 of the draft. Georgia's Andrew Thomas went at four to the Giants and Alabama's Jedrick Wills to the Browns at 10. Could we see a record number of offensive linemen taken in the first round? And is this the year to grab a bookend for the next 10 to 15 years? I, I think that it could be, Chris, to be honest, because I'm just looking at like the, the players that I have at the top. It's a very deep offensive tackle class. I think that there is only one player that I would say is a sound top 10 pick that I would be comfortable with. And of course that's Penn A. Sewell from Oregon, who was another guy that opted out. So he's going to have like that cloud around him, this, you know, yeah, with being an opt out player. Chase. Absolutely. Yeah. He's going to have that same stigma that Chase has. So people are going to have to work through that for me though. I watched it and I'm just like that size, that athleticism at only 19 years old, like <laughs> you, you can, you can uh, sell me on him in the top 10 easy. I think though it's that, you know, we're talking about tiers. I think that, that the offensive tackle class is harder to find tiers for because I'm looking at guys like 
Sam Cosme, who I like from Texas, Christian Darasol, offensive Virginia tackle. Tech, yep. yep, Virginia Tech. I love Spencer Brown, Northern Iowa kid, who's going to be down at the senior bowl. I think he has a chance to catapult himself into a late first-round conversation. Uh, Jalen Mayfield, who out of Michigan, who's a very talented football player. Liam Eikenberg, super solid. Will he go in the first round from Notre Dame? We'll see. Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, I think, has a chance to be in the late first round. And then you're talking about an interior offensive line class, and some people want to put Rashawn Slater as an offensive tackle. I currently have him inside a guard because I just don't think that 32-and-a-half-inch arms is going to sell him to be an outside guy at the end of the day. So I think that, that he is definitely a first-round player, whether you like him at tackle or guard or even in the center, some people are talking about. Trey Smith, if his if his uh, medicals check out, because he has had some recurring issues with blood clots in his lungs. So let's see what the medicals look like on him. But out of Tennessee, he is a very talented football player. Elijah Vera Tucker's thrown out around in the first round conversation a little bit. Wyatt Davis from Ohio State. And that's not even talking about the centers like Josh Myers and Creed Humphrey. Landon Dickerson's been dealing with a lot of injuries, but he's a guy that I know a lot of NFL teams really like. So I think that this is a very deep offensive line class. And I think that the bulk of their grades are going to be, you know, early day two grades for me, second round grades. But at the end of the day, I think some of those guys are going to catapult into that late, late first round conversation. So I do think that there is going to be a heavy amount of offensive linemen taken in the first round. Uh, to your question about bookends, I really like uh, Penny Sewell, probably the best offensive lineman I've ever broken down. I, I really am a heavy believer in him. Sam Cosby has that making of a, of a, franchise pass blocking left tackle and then Christian Darisol is the other guy that stand out to me as like they're the guys that are going to lock down the the blind side of your offensive line for the next hopefully 10 plus years yeah I'm glad you mentioned the interior linemen though they they seem to be sometimes the forgotten men but they're so important especially the center because he's touching the ball on every single play <laughs> yeah and it's a it's a it's a great class on the interior too it's it's got some you know, pretty high in talent. I don't think there's anybody that's going to sneak into the top 15, but there's a lot of guys that could go in the first round and there's a ton of depth. So it's a really fun class. Nice. And we're speaking with Ryan Roberts, director of scouting at the NFL draft Bible. And on the flip side, uh, let's look at the defense. Is this the weakest draft class in a while? Uh, at some positions. Absolutely. I, I think that interior defensive line, the defensive tackle class is, is not good <laughs> to say it as nicely as I can. <laughs> I, I think that there is I don't think that there's a ton of talent at the top of the defensive ends, rush linebacker class, the pass rushers of the group that you're going to say, hey, that's a top 10 pick. But I think there is a lot of depth in that class. There's a lot of guys to get excited about, like Jalen Phillips um, out of Miami and Gregory Rousseau also they opt out of Miami. And there's a lot of guys, Quiddy Pay, yeah, Joseph, Joseph, yeah, Michigan, Joseph Asai from Texas. There's, there's a ton of guys that you can get excited about. Aziz Ojolari from, from Georgia. It's a very, it's got a lot of depth. I don't know if there's a, if there's any slam dunks, top 10 picks where you're like, yeah, that guy is in any year, he's a top 10 player. But I think there's a lot of depth. Linebacker group, the best of the defense, in my opinion. It is a fantastic class. Cornerback is solid. Um, I, I'm a big fan of J.C. Horn up top at South Carolina. He's actually my top ranked guy, which I know is a little unconventional for some. And then uh, Patrick Sertan Jr., who obviously is the son of uh, former Miami Dolphin, Pat Sertan, who was a dominant football player, a great football player with Sam Madison over there in Southeast. So uh, I think that the cornerback class is very solid. Safety class, there's some depth and interesting pieces, but it's not an amazing class. It's just pretty solid as well. 
So I do think that it's not an overall very good defensive class, but I do think there are some redeeming qualities to it. Yeah, and out of all the first-round talent, who do you see going off the board first? Is it going to be Caleb Farley, uh, the cornerback out of Virginia Tech, Sertan, as you were talking about, from Alabama? I mean, is Mika mm-hmm. Parsons going to jump in there? Is somebody going to reach for, like you said, a Gregory Russo? I, th- I think that because of the valuation of the position, or I said devaluation of the position, I would, if you ask me who just flat out who's the best defensive player in the draft, I would say Michael Parsons. But there are some whispers of off field things with him, like how committed is he to the game? And then also he's playing off ball linebacker. So, you know, there is some devaluation to that position in the current state of the NFL. So if I, if you had to ask me who is the first guy that's going to be off the board, I would say it's going to be one of the corners. I don't know if it's Farley or if it's Sertan. I don't know if somebody's going to fall in love with the, the, you know, profile of Farley over Sertan. So I, I'd probably go with Patrick Sertan just because I think that his floor is so high. He's got that Alabama pre- pedigree. He's got the pedigree of just being his his son's, you know, his father's son, yeah. which is gonna, which is definitely gonna play pedigree. in. You know, the, the pedigree. Yeah, he's got he's got a ton of pedigree to him in a lot of different ways. So I think he's a very safe player that somebody's gonna value in the top ten. So I'd probably say Sertan might be that first guy off the board. All right, in the tight end class, why is Florida's tight end Kyle Pitts so special? I mean, because he is an <laughs> outstanding <a> <laughs> athlete. <laughs> Dude, he's, he's a freak. I mean, he is all of 6'5 plus, 240 plus pounds. He can literally play anywhere that you want. Um, he's, not, he's never going to be the greatest blocker in the world. He actually is a better blocker than people will act like he is. He gets his body into solid position. He definitely works hard as a blocker. He just has a thin, you know, thin lower half. He doesn't have a ton of power through his frame. But what he can do is, whether it's in line, playing H in the slot, all the way out five, uh, uh, wide into the boundary, wherever you want to put him, he is a mismatch nightmare. He's a guy that can literally make a play anywhere on the football field, which is why it makes him so special. And actually, this tight end class, I'm, I'm a fan of the class in general. And Kyle Pitts, uh, for us, I think is in the top five overall players in the draft. So he's that special. And we're speaking with Ryan Roberts, director of scouting at the NFL Draft Bible. And with no combine and the players and teams will have to evaluate a pro days, does that benefit the prospect since they'll be comfortable working out in their own surrounding? I think it, I mean, that's assuming that the pro days, there's nothing that, you know, like we saw last year with pro days getting canceled. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's a little tough to beat, you know, to get your crystal ball out and know exactly what it's going to look like. I mean, definitely, I would say like it's, it's, Anytime a player is comfortable in their surroundings, they're in their home facilities, they've been there a million times, like they're going to be relaxed, they're going to run faster, they're probably going to test better. So I think that it can be quite an advantage. I think the trouble, troubling part is with the combine not being a traditional combine, they might get them in there and just get some measurements, maybe talk to some teams and get them out of there. We're not going to see testing. Is there going to be a regionalized combine cycle? Like is our or is the NFL going to put out these combines where they have the electric times, they make sure they have all the measurables the way they traditionally would, just a little more dispersed so people aren't, you know, there's not a ton of people in one space. I think that's the big question. If it comes down to pro days, it's going to be... They always see the clock a little bit faster on the pro day than oh, they do at the combine. I mean, absolutely, because we're talking about hand times there, right? So people have quicker fingers, they have slower fingers. Sure. Like it's, it, it's not going to be completely verified numbers, but if that's the best that they have, I think that it will play into a lot of players, a lot of players' hands there because, like like you said, the ability to to run at home and test at home, 
I think is going to buoy some numbers a little bit. So it definitely could play to people's advantage. I just I wouldn't count out yet that that's all we're going to get. I would be very surprised if there wasn't some form of regionalized combines um, system that they put in place so that they can get as much verification on numbers as possible. Sure. Well, hopefully that happens, especially since you said there's some players that haven't played in a year or opted out. And there's also conferences that didn't play that many games like the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Will that hurt some of their players in the evaluation process? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yes, it naturally will. Should it to the degree that it probably will? I mean, I would say probably not, but it's I mean, at the end of the day, the draft process is a resume. So guys being able to have the full season, being able to go to an all-star event, being able to go to the combine, hopefully being able to go to a pro day, have the team meetings like those things are just kind of checking things off. Right. They're, they're, they're just trying to make as much part cover as much part of that resume as possible. And if they don't have as much opportunity as as usual, there's going to be a higher emphasis on some of these events. And there's less margin for error because they just don't have the wiggle room like, hey, oh, I didn't have a great combine, but I'm going to come back to the pro day and I'm going to test out of my mind. You're really limiting yourself to, hey, the, the eyes are even more on you in this one setting than they normally be. And you don't have as much wiggle room to make things, um, make th- to make up for things as much sure, as you would in the yeah. past. Exactly. And like you have people sitting out at the combine and then working out at the pro day. So it's going to be interesting. And I know you host co-host the locked on Irish podcast. What luck will Notre Dame players have in the draft? Uh, so I, I think it's a pretty solid year for Notre Dame prospects. If first guy off the board is probably going to be Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, the linebacker yeah. slash safety, just call him a dynamic second level player. Like that's what he is. You know, he played that Rover spot in Notre Dame's four two five alignment. He can do a lot of awesome things. Offensive line class is fantastic this year. Unfortunately for Notre Dame, for going into next season, they're going to lose four or five starters. So it's it's going to be a little bit of a tough rebuild. But Liam Eichenberg, hey, maybe first to second round. We'll see where he lands. Aaron Banks, the left guard, I think is one of the most underrated players in the in the um in the draft coming up here. He's a a fantastic football player. Made several American teams. One of the best guards in next year in this year's class, in my opinion that nobody really talks about too much yet, but I think some people are really going to start talking about him a bunch. We have Tommy Kramer, right guard, who's, you know, kind of a fringe draftable player who's kind of had a lot of notoriety throughout most of his career because he's a five-star recruit coming in uh, from Ohio. And then right tackle, Robert Haynes, he's just kind of, that's solid. He's going to be a swing player. He's going to be able to back up offensive tackle. He's going to be able to back up guard, maybe play even, you know, get some snaps in at center. Never going to be a fantastic football player on the next level, in my opinion, but I think he can find a role, find a niche. And, you know, Jeremiah was a Gormel, like I already mentioned. They have a couple of defensive ends that are going to be down in Mobile, Dalen Hayes and Adi Ogandiji, who I think could be potential day three players. So there's it's definitely a good class. And even the wide receivers, who I, who I almost skipped over, like Javon McKinley, who, you know, had a late breakout in his career. He could be drafted somewhere late. Ben Skoranek, the transfer from Northwestern, their other wide receiver, who's a really tough physical football player, not incredibly dynamic, but he will he'll block, he'll play special teams, he'll do all those little things that I think that could grab him a niche. And then the the most I don't want to say shocking, but the most surprising player to declare for this draft as an underclassman was Tommy Tremble, who's their tight end, who they use in two tight end sets a lot as a fullback. In line is tight end at times. As an H-back, he does a little bit of everything. 
And from what I'm hearing, he could go somewhere between the second and fourth round, surprisingly, even though he doesn't have the greatest production in the world. So I do think that it is overall a, a pretty impressive class this year for Notre Dame. Well, you got to listen to it. Locked on Irish, the podcast. And we're speaking with Ryan Roberts, director of scouting at the NFL Draft Bible. What do you agree with? Filling a need or going with best player available? I'd always like to say best player available, but there, I mean, <laughs> it's great when it's both. <laughs> right. Right. It's um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's definitely better when it's both. Um, it's, it can get a little tricky. You know, it, I think every situation is very individualized. Like there's no, Yes, no, like there's no, it's not black and white. There's no absolute answer on either side sometimes. But for my general perspective, I always am trying to draft the best player available. Do you see any non-Power 5 and FCS schools that will be represented in the draft? Oh, absolutely. I think that it's it's actually a really, uh, the biggest shame this year for me was the FCS programs, you know, getting shut down, most of them until spring. I think that it's actually a really talented FCS class. I mentioned Spencer Brown earlier from Northern Iowa. I think he has a chance to go in the first round. Dylan Radins, who Jim Nagy, the director of, of the Senior Bowl, raves about the offensive tackle from North Dakota State. He thinks could be in the first round. I think he's more of a day two player, but I think he's very talented. Robert Rochelle's a cornerback for um, Central Arkansas. That's a talented football player that a lot of people like. But the, when you're talking small school guys this year, it's got to be Trey Lance, because he, the quarterback from North Dakota State, because he has every opportunity for me to – he selected somewhere in the top 10. I think he's that talented. That's amazing. Well, looking forward to another great NFL draft and hope to have it back on the show. All right, it's time to go. Y'all ready for this? Three and out. It's time to go three and out with Ryan Roberts, director of scouting at the NFL Draft Bible, which you can check out now on SI. It's three lighter questions to close out the interview. Okay, first off, with the retirement of Philip Rivers, Rank the QBs from the 2004 draft class. You got oh, Rivers, okay. Roethlisberger, and Eli. I, I would go Roethlisberger, Rivers, and Eli. I, I personally just always I – know, I know I guess you're a New York guy, right, Chris? But I no, no, I, no. It's a, no, New, York, New, York it's a New York number. but Okay, okay. So, so you won't take too offense to saying that I think Eli Manning is one of the most overrated quarterbacks to ever play. Sorry. There we go. <laughs> no. I, well, you're from New Jersey. You might get you might get crushed over there. I, I might. I, I actually do. Uh, I do a podcast, the Lock on Irish, with a, a Giants. Uh, a, a young uh, Joe, Joe D. Leon actually covers the Giants as well, so he probably crushed me for that one a little bit. <laughs> All right, we won't tell. Him. We won't let him know. <laughs> All right, number two. Let's go behind the scenes. What are the must-haves in the world of scouting? Must-haves. Uh, I think contacts is the biggest thing for me. Um, you know, when we, I think when anybody first starts, they can't be afraid to ask questions. I have guys like David Turner, who is in the scouting industry for 18 years. John Murphy, who is a, a, a executive up in, in Canadian Football League. Rick Saratel, who's been in the game for 20, 20 plus years. Like the, the ability to have those guys and to have the ability to talk to some former coaches, quarterback coaches, I think that the contacts is the biggest thing for scouting because this is one thing where the game is so ever evolving. You're never going to be perfect. And, and we're talking about like, you know, you always hear like that, that uh, saying like, you know, oh, three hits out of 10 at bats and, and you're a good player. You know, <laughs> you like you fail seven times and scouting the margin for, for victory is probably even even lower. Sure, you know, keep blowing first round picks. Right. Exactly. So I think that um, I think that just just knowing what you don't know is the best that you can, because you're never going to be perfect with that. But just having the contacts and the people around you that are going to make you a better scout. I feel like really helps you in the long run and not to be afraid to ask questions. For me, 
that is the biggest thing. And to, and to know that what you don't know, you need to figure it out because otherwise you're just going to get into this lull where you think you know everything and you're just never going to be the evaluator that you should be. Nice. I like that. And finally, I'm a foodie. So what would be one legendary place and meal from your alma mater, Rowan University? Oh, man, I, I oh, man, that's I, I actually don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Since, you're, since you are close to Philly, though, Jersey's close. Yes. close to Philly. Do you have any cheesesteak yes. recommendations? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you can go over there. You know, depends what you like. Tony Luke's, Gino's. There's, there's a bunch of stuff. I used to go to Frusco's a lot uh, okay. when I was younger. I don't think it's the best cheesesteak in the world. But when you were a young kid, you know, just getting drunk in Philly was really delicious. So that's how you um, end up at Pat's and Gino's, too. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. That, that, I mean, that's the late night trend. So I would I would definitely say, you know, wherever you are in Philly, you have a chance to get a really good cheesesteak. Yeah. I, I go over sometimes still to Dover the Bridge just to get a good cheesesteak. Just, some people in New Jersey think they can do a Philly cheesesteak, right? It's just not true. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. We've been speaking with Ryan Roberts, director of scouting at the NFL Draft Bible. And he takes the microphone on multiple podcasts, NFL Draft Prospects podcast, Maverick Sports Consulting, and Locked on Irish. Find him on Twitter at Rise and Draft. That's Rise, capital and Draft, and at NFLDraftBible.com. Now with Sports Illustrated. Thanks a lot for joining me, Ryan. Absolutely, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Believe in College Football Legends podcast. Make sure to check out all the prior episodes with Heisman winners, legendary coaches, and sports personalities reliving the greatest plays. You can tweet your questions at the Sports Jesus and join us next week because it will be legendary. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.